Welcome to the Score Podcast. Millennials and Gen Z consumers. Who are they and what do they want? A lot of smart people have tried to answer that question and only a few have succeeded. But let's try to figure it out ourselves. I'm Jeff Richardson, host of the Score Podcast, where we always speak to the most innovative and informed leaders in the marketplace. I'm excited today to be joined by a journalist who can help us demystify the perspectives of the millennial and Gen Z consumer when it comes to their financial lives. So joining us today is Kyle Woodley, editor-in-chief of Young and the Invested, an online publication for younger people who want to learn how to plan, manage, and invest their money with confidence. Kyle was previously the senior investing editor for Kiplinger.com and managing editor for InvestorPlace.com before that. His work has appeared in several major news outlets, including Yahoo Finance, MS Money. He's been a guest on Fox Business and Money Radio, among many other shows and podcasts, including MarketWatch, Vice, and Univision. He's a proud graduate of The Ohio State University, where he obtained a degree in journalism. Kyle, thank you for joining us. No, thank you for having me. All right, so we're going to get into what is on the minds of the Young Financial Services client. So let's start here. Help us understand the mindset of the millennial or Gen Z investor or saver. What is this person seeking to get out of their financial lives? How can lenders better serve them? I think first things first, we need to disabuse ourselves of the notion that like a generation is a monolith. So while I'm going to point out a few trends and generalities within both generations, I think one of the biggest things financial services firms should understand right out of the gate is that both generations value personalization. Many millennials and Gen Zers simply don't believe they just fit into some bucket. But let's talk about similarities. So millennials and Gen Zers alike, they both face a pretty big upfront financial hurdle in the form of student loan debt. Both of them, probably as a result of that student loan debt, share some sense of frugality. And along sort of the same lines, they they also get at it. I'm pretty sure anyone listening to this podcast has heard some sort of derogatory stereotype about one or both of these generations not working hard, but they do. Both engage regularly in side hustles. A big difference between the two generations from a financial perspective, though, is savings habits. So it's not that millennials don't save at all. They actually started socking away money for retirement far earlier than the baby boom generation did by about a decade. But Gen Zers are really squirreling it away for the winter. Uh, One report I came across had a couple of really eye-popping numbers. So millennials on average, they save $294 per month versus $857 monthly for Gen Z. And the average millennial has about 7,200 tucked away in savings, while Gen Z is a little more than $10,000. So it's fair to say that if you're marketing to Gen Z in specific, you better polish up your savings products. That's interesting. So if you are one of those companies or some type of financial services business or brand, how do you better attract millennial and Gen Z consumers? So for one, I think both millennials and Gen Zers are drawn to environmental and social responsibility. You can see it in just study after study, but something I should point out here is that it does apply to their investing, sure, but also to the brands that they want to support. One of the studies I came across said that you know Gen Z was willing to fork over 10% more on average on a product if it was sustainable. And then another one showed that three quarters of millennials have actually changed their buying habits in some, you know, this was a fairly vague presentation, but in some way toward environmentally friendly products. Now, obviously, financial services companies aren't actually producing physical products, but that does give you insight into how important these issues are when Gen Z and millennials are making their spending decisions. 
Also, while millennials and Gen Zers tend to be more tech savvy and they're comfortable tackling many aspects of their finances online, I think you'd be surprised to find that millennials to some extent, but Gen Z especially, actually leans kind of hard into the human experience. This stood out to me. 23% of Gen Zers say that they'd want to buy an insurance product from a human advisor in a branch. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but it is when you consider that the vast majority of insurance is already sold over the phone or online. That 23%, that's almost double the percentage of baby boomers and even millennials who feel the same way. And also both generations, they understand the importance of human financial advisors. I do have a couple of other stray observations. This one probably won't be much of a surprise. Both generations put importance in social media brands. So financial institutions have always needed to be where their customers are. Baby boomers might have wanted to have seen a storefront. Younger generations want to see that you're active on social. It's their, you know, one of their means of determining legitimacy. And one pretty troubling trend that should work itself out, but it's worth you know keeping an eye on, is that Gen Z tends to turn to friends or relatives when it comes to help deciding on financial services and products. Now, don't get me wrong, word of mouth, very important force in marketing. And it tells financial services companies that securing current client loyalty is a way to get new clients. But it does mean that Gen Zers are likelier getting incomplete and faulty advice from people who could be as inexperienced as they are. They need to be guided to better, more thorough sources of information and research. Got it. So let's look into the future here. What does the future look like for the millennial or Gen Z client? And how do you think that these preferences might shape, for example, the future of fintech, which is a topic we like to focus on the score about? I think the biggest future point that we can lock into is actually the relative insecurity of social security. You know, yes, Congress could buck up and actually fix our funding problem. But for now, I think you're looking at a pair of generations that are at least being told that social security won't be fully paid to them when it's their turn to collect. And I think what that's doing is it's already driving both generations to invest more and earlier than previous generations. And I don't think that's going to change. I think that's only going to accelerate into the future. Now, I think that necessity actually dovetails with another trend, which is that millennials and Gen Zers are becoming more educated about money. So yes, right now, as I just said before, Gen Zers are still stuck in, hey, do you like your bank You know, mode where they're just asking their friends for help? But you know, schools are increasingly starting to put financial literacy courses into place and where they're not, many people are just putting the ball in their own hands and they're learning online through, sorry, shameless plug here, sites like the Young and the Invested, among others. But I think the net effect here in time is you're going to have much more financially educated and savvy consumers than I think a lot of financial service providers are used to. So in turn, I think that if you're in fintech, I think you're going to have to become a lot more competitive. Marketing is not going to sort of gloss over things. These are going to be very intelligent consumers. And so I think if you've got a so-so product you know, and a great marketing team, that's not going to mean as much as it did in the past. And your so-so products and services are going to be found out in a hurry. So that's an interesting kind of segue to this question, which is one of the main products that financial services companies provide, which is a mortgage. And as you know, many have speculated that younger generations don't value home ownership perhaps as much as as we do or our parents did. What's your take on that? I think it's a lot harder than all that. I mean, do do they value it less possibly, but it's it's sort of what's feeding that mentality that's important. So for one, millennials, Gen Zers, they're not stupid. They read, they look online, they you know go to social media. And what do you think they see when they're doing that? They see that the price of home ownership 
is effectively out of reach. You you see those bombastic headlines all the time. You can't afford home ownership. And so I think they're being conditioned to see that. And so I don't think that it's so much that they're just like, oh, home ownership isn't for me. I think it's more that they look and go, I can't afford home ownership. And what do you do? What is a normal psychological response to knowing that you're not going to be able to, you know, obtain something to afford something? You start telling yourself, I don't need that. I don't need that to be happy. I think part of that is financial nature. I think the other thing is, you know, if we're going to sort of zoom out to, you know, 10,000 feet here, I think it's also conditioning in that people don't own anything anymore. I used to own CDs, not very good CDs. I have very poor taste in music, but I own CDs. You know, people own cassettes before that. My mom has a bunch of, you know, records still sitting in the house. We're used to owning things. What do kids do? You know, what does Gen Z do when they want to listen to music? They turn on Spotify. They turn on iTunes. Everything is rented now. All services. If you look out there, there's services to rent bikes and cars and everything else. And ownership just isn't as part of the system as it once was. And so a house is just another thing to rent now or, you know, an apartment or whatever, you know, a condo, what have you. But the point is, is that they're being conditioned to not own anything, that they're just constantly going to be paying to take whatever, you know, services it is that they need. And so backing to the original question here. Yeah, I mean, sure, they probably don't value it like previous generations did. But I don't think it's just because homes suddenly became uncool or anything like that. I think it's because they've partially gone out of reach and because we've turned into a renter society. That's fascinating insight, particularly the insight about just kind of the concept of ownership being quite different. Kyle, let's cut it there. Thank you for joining the SCORE podcast. We really appreciate the insights. Where can uh, listeners go to see and read more of these amazing insights of yours? They can visit us online at youngandtheinvested.com, and there they can learn basically anything they want about their finances, whether it's you know investing, taxes, personal finance, spending, saving, you name it. Kyle, thanks again. Thank you very much for having me. The millennial and Gen Z generation's attitude towards money and investing differ from previous generations, I suppose stating the obvious but particularly when they're compared to the baby boomers. As Kyle mentioned, high student loan debt continues to impact their economic future, and the COVID-19 pandemic impacted many key areas of life from employment to investments. The products and services we market to them, and even the models we use to measure their credit worthiness, must bear these fundamental differences in mind. I'm Jeff Richardson, and I look forward to our next conversation on the SCORE podcast. Views and opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of VantageScore Solutions. Visit VantageScore.com to learn more.